Hey, Brendan Sinone with Knowles 24-7 here with the Knowles 24-7 podcast. Joining me right now over Skype are Chris Nee and Bob Ferrante. And a little bit later today, we'll have Josh Newberg joining us as well. So it's actually going to be a pretty full plate as we uh, we have baseball to talk about, some football news, and a ton of recruiting stuff. So let's get going right away with uh, what I think is the most interesting topic, which is baseball. Um, you guys know I'm not a huge baseball guy, but how, how about uh, the Seminoles really turning things around, uh, hosting a regional uh, Chris, let's start off with you. What, just put in the perspective you can, I guess, just how big of a turnaround this was for for Florida State to uh, to get here to host a regional. Well, I mean, two weeks ago we were talking about them being on the bubble, so they literally went from one extreme to the other. Um, you know, I think it's a credit to the schedule they played that helped. The RPI obviously helped. Those kind of things stood out to the committee. But the fact that you finish a season with you know the sweep through the ACC tournament. Two victories at Louisville, another victory over Louisville in the ACC tournament, a victory over UNC in the ACC championship. Those four wins right there are about as impressive as they can get. You know, if you're building a resume, that's how you go about doing it. The biggest thing to me is the starting pitching has been very good quality. I mean, that Sands start against Duke is the best start he maybe has had in his career. Holton's humming right now. He's unbelievable. Drew Parrish is even doing well. If they get quality starts and can not have to rely so much on so many in the bullpen, for extended periods of time, they've got a shot. And, you know, there's plenty of guys in the lineup who can do some things. Dylan Busby's been very good. Drew Mendoza's been as equally hot as he's been cold, but his hot's been very impressive. Those home runs he hit were shots. Um, and, you know, if they can get a couple guys back in rhythm, you know, J.C. Flowers is a guy I think of in the lineup. They've got a shot to make some noise in the postseason. They're a pretty scary team, and I think the draw they got both for regional and potential super regional are both favorable for them. And before we get into the, the nitty-gritty with the, the regional and the matchups there, I'm curious in getting both your guys' thoughts. And, and Bob, I'll start with you. Uh, let's go back to, I think it was the beginning of April, mid-April. Florida State has won 18 of its last 23 games. And, and Chris kind of alluded to the starting pitching. I'm um, curious, Bob, to get your thoughts on, on why. Like, what what happened? When did the turnaround start? What has changed? What was different from when the team was, was really struggling kind of in the middle of the season? I think we had talked for for a while about this team can really do something potentially when everybody's healthy in the the batting lineup on a day-to-day basis. And so to start the year, you don't have Drew Mendoza with the thumb injury. Then Dylan Busby's injured. I think he's had shoulder and back issues. Uh, Jackson Luke, first, what was it, uh, shin splints, and then it was the shingles. And my goodness, you know, a guy who's, what, 20 years old to have two injuries that are very unlike a 20-year-old to have. Um, and then Red Apple in rounding first base uh, breaks his foot and has to have surgery. So in the end, we only really saw what this lineup could do at full 100% potential for maybe a couple of weekends. But even now, when you subtract Applin, the, the best hitter statistically in the lineup, this is a really good really good lineup one through nine. Uh, yeah. JC Farr's really had a very bad ACC tournament, but I think you'll see him bounce back. You've been a pretty good situational hitter. So it, it's interesting. A lot of the guys were talking yesterday about how this team had been inconsistent, uh, both pitching and hitting. And at times the pitchers were doing well, the hitters weren't. And then it was the opposite. And now I think we saw in the last six games, you know, they won two up in Louisville. They won the four in the ACC tournament. You kind of saw it all come together. That Notre Dame game was really 
bizarre where they had to go 12 innings to beat the, the 12 seed. But a couple of the guys were saying yesterday that that was a game where they kind of felt like, wow, you know, it, it's starting to come together. It, they had to have that moment where they almost lost. and But, but all the pieces kind of came together. They got the big home run from Jackson Luke, and that kind of sparked them through the rest of the weekend and, and making a run that, that gets them a regional. Yeah, another thing that's helped them in this stretch, too, is the fielding's improved. They've given away a lot less free outs, allowing teams to extend innings. And that was one of those things. When you when you have pitching that can be suspect at times, especially out of bullpen, you cannot afford to give a team 30, 31, 32 outs when they should only get 27. You just can't get away with it. And they've gotten away from that, and that's a good thing. You know, my hope is that it continues. I, you know, I don't want them peaking right now. Hopefully they continue this trend of, being the team that most people, especially those associated with the program, thought they were going to be when they walked into the season. I think Martin alluded to it yesterday, I believe. Uh, I can't remember who asked him, but somebody in the media pool asked, has the season been about the winter season you've ever coached here? And I think he said pretty much plain and simple, yeah. Yeah. And it has been. I mean, they were nothing like they were expected to be early in the season. And I think the coaching staff, to some degree, was a bit dumbfounded by it. Bob's right. Injuries have played a role. The lack of a consistent lineup has played a role. But the pitching was a it was a mess at one point. I mean, they could not get beyond the fourth inning with most starts outside of Holton. And then the bullpen was suspect. You know, there were games where they would shut somebody down for five innings, and there were games where they would give up five runs in an inning. So you didn't really know what you were getting day to day. And the fielding at times was also bad. And, you know, I think that played in some of the issues that the pitching has. But currently – in those three phases of the game, they're doing the best job they've done during the entire season. We may not know this until you know the end of this weekend or, or next week or whenever, uh, but is this sustainable for Florida State? Like you guys said, the consistency or inconsistency was kind of something that uh, was a theme this entire season for, for the Seminoles. And, and now that they're kind of looking to put it together, I mean, is this real or is this just a hot streak? Is there some sustainability, sustainability, excuse me, to the way they're they're playing baseball right now. Yeah, I, I think this is the team they're capable of being. I don't think it's some like flash in the pan, got lucky. I think this is more the extreme of the positive side of what they could be. Well, for a vast majority of the season, we saw at times the negative side of what they could be. So, yeah, I think it's definitely sustainable. I mean, you know, they got Auburn coming in, UCF coming in, of course, Tennessee Tech. If that second game for them, if they win their first game and the second game's against Auburn, if Auburn beats UCF, I'm very interested to see if Auburn will go with Mize or Keegan Thompson against UCF. If they save Keegan Thompson, that will be a big test for FSU. That's a guy who can shut you down. And FSU's at time has been very, very good against opposing aces. And at other times, they've really struggled to put some hits on the board. So I think Keegan Thompson is sort of a measuring stick if they have to face him in the regional. You know, the defense is still a concern. I think that's what keeps you up at night, worried about, you know, Mendoza is playing out of place at first base. Walls makes these incredible plays at short, but I think he, he kind of booted a, a Bill Buckner type of play, you know, in a, in a situation where, you know, Force had to get out of an inning. Um, it's it's kind of a – it's going to be a season-long issue. The defense could let this team down at some point, but I think Chris is right. It's been better down the stretch. The other one that's that's an obvious one still, we've been talking about this all year too, is is the bullpen. A lot of question marks coming in the sixth, seventh inning. Drew Carlton has had to go eight and nine quite a bit. They've had to lean on guys. I 
I don't know if there's a whole lot of confidence. Um, you know, Alec Bird did pitch well. Drew Parrish came out of the bullpen to pitch great on Sunday. But I, I, one worry is, you know, hey, if, if Cole Sands is is shaky early on Friday, how how long do you leave him out there, and, and, and who who can bring out of the bullpen for you know, say, two or three innings if you have to uh, if you have to rescue him? So I think there are definite question marks, but. I do kind of feel like the offense is there and is going to produce and, and will kind of bail out a bad outing from a starter. Yeah, if, if you get Cole Sands of the Duke version that we saw, they can go to him. Yeah. I mean, you, you got Holton, who you know is ace material. If you get a Sands who can give you six, seven quality innings pitch at that level, which is ace level, it's the reason I think they've stuck with him on Fridays, even though I disagree with that decision. Then you've got your two aces, and you know. Then you got Carlton, who can pitch extended relief, and truthfully, you should use him as an extended reliever. It's foolish to move a guy who's capable of throwing seven, eight, nine innings in a weekend to a role where he may only throw one or two innings in a weekend. You know, get a hundred pitches out of him in a weekend. I thought they used him well in the ACC tournament. I was glad to see him go to him in the ninth there, even though it wasn't really necessary, just because I think you have to do that. That is the role that guy is supposed to play for you. If you're going to move him to that role use him for that role. But, you know, there's other guys in that bullpen. You worry when Boyles come in. You know, Zerzow's a guy who's kind of a hit or miss. Kwiatkowski's generally good, but sort of a situational matchup guy. You know, Bird, Carp are guys that you can use more extended sometimes. But you need guys to hit at all cylinders. You need to be on top of it. And the biggest thing is with the pitching, I think FSU has to be very proactive at knowing, you know, this might be a situation where we go to the pen. Have guys ready. Don't let it get to a bases loaded, no out situation. If it's first and second, you need to go to pen. Be ready to go to pen. And if you need to replace a guy you just went to, be ready to replace him. You know, it's not one of these where you kind of sit and wait and let guys battle through and get out of it. You got to use the arms you have available. Hope you get a hot arm on that day and get out of the innings. That's a, the thing we're going to see here, and not just with with Florida State, but all across the country with these regional matchups is. Uh, baseball itself is is such a fickle sport and you know like you guys said you get a hot you know someone someone catch fire and a pitcher does well and that changes just the, the dynamic of the matchup completely and it's such a small sample size so uh, going into the weekend here we'll have uh, you know so, so the pool what we have Chris alluded to is UCF has an RPI of 20 Auburn has an RPI of 43 and then Tennessee Tech which will be Florida State's opening game uh, RPI of 95 so um you know, we, we saw UCF and Florida State play earlier in the year. Florida State beat them, I think, 5-2 and then 5 nothing or something in that realm. Uh, I guess, what are your thoughts, guys, on the pool uh, and, and how Florida State, in theory, matches up with, with the teams that it may see uh, this weekend? Well, I view FSU as roughly, you know, 14th or so seed in the tournament. So I think for that, they got a very fair regional. Mm-hmm. You know, regional they can come out of. Tennessee Tech, pitching's not that impressive, but they can mash up a ton of hits, a lot of runs. I think they had 97 home runs, which leads the nation. So they're a team that, you know, can probably use a short perch porch to right, you know, to their advantage against FSU if balls are left up and they're able to drive them. But, uh, you know, an Ohio Valley Conference team doesn't exactly scare you. I think UCF and Auburn's a good matchup. I think that's a heck of an opening game for a regional. Like I alluded to earlier, Keegan Thompson's probably the best prospect in this regional outside of uh, Dylan Busby and Taylor Walls. And he's a guy that's an ace. You know, he's capable of shutting you down, kind of what Tyler Holt can do for FSU, he can do for Auburn. So I'm interested to see if they use him against UCF to try to guarantee a victory or if they save him in hopes of facing FSU and getting the advantage in regional. 
their number two pitcher for Auburn is a kid named Casey Mize. He's also pretty solid, seven and two with a one nine three ERA. So fully capable. UCF's just a really well balanced team. They're not, you know, there's not an individual guy that would point to and be like, you know, he's that dude that kind of sets them apart. Robbie Howell's ten and ten and O. So, you know, he's obviously a pitcher that's considered their ace, but he has a 3-2-8 ERA, so he's not, like, infallible. In offense, leader lineup's pretty solid, but there's not an individual guy that just blows you away. I like Kyle Marsh a lot. He's a heavy doubles hitter, drives in a lot of runs. So, talented teams, but I think FSU has a great shot, as long as the starting pitching doesn't fail to advance. And something that's interesting about, you know, some of these opponents, Auburn and UCF, these, these are teams that, were talked about to host regionals just in the last couple weeks. You know, one week ago, Florida State was projected to go to Orlando for regional. Um, and Auburn has kind of tailed off a little bit later on in the year. They, they got swept by Alabama, which was a really bad series loss. Um, struggled out at LSU. Bounced back a little bit of late. But, but Auburn was a team that, again, we saw for a long time. Florida State was projected by Baseball America and D1 to go there potentially. Or regional, I think UCF is is definitely the number two seed, but kind of a team that that could cause some trouble for sure. They seem to hit a lot of doubles and uh, you know three good pitchers, ERAs, three of them under three point three. So I think that's the kind of team where you know they have the sustainability to go deep into a regional, and and you know if they get past Auburn in that first game, then I think it, it could really be a dogfight with Florida State. All right, so we got your thoughts on the regional guys. Um, I guess real quick, yes or no, uh, does Florida State advance uh, this weekend? Yes. Yes. All right, so if they do it advancing and, and going to, uh, let's say, the, the regional that they're matched up with uh, is Texas Tech and Lubbock, are you guys uh, are you guys going out to, to Lubbock, Texas? Considering that, currently have to speak to the powers that be. Ugh. Lubbock sounds terrible in, in the summertime. I can't imagine that would be a fun trip. All right. So Florida State in uh, as a regional. How about this? Miami Hurricanes baseball out, um, ending a 44-year streak of making, uh, making the NCAA tournament. I heard, uh, I heard that the Florida State players were, uh, were happy about that. Did you guys hear that or experience that when you were, uh, when you were at availability yesterday? Yeah, that was funny. We were not allowed in the clubhouse um, as in past years, but we were one room away in the tradition room where usually press conferences and interviews take place after games. So we're close enough to hear, you know, there, there was celebration. And it was clear when Bethune-Cookman was, was released as the last team, the number three seed of the Gainesville Regional, there was quite a bit of applause. <laughs> and um, it was pretty obvious why they were cheering. Let's just... Uh, Let's just go with that. You know, I, I think Miami really could have used one more win. You know, maybe if they could cover their field efficiently and allow a series to play out where you play three games with your in-state rival who is a regional host and has a 40-year streak. Maybe if you win that game, you know, you're playing in the tournament. But, hey, grounds crew just couldn't get the job done near the Hurricanes. Somewhere Tim Reynolds from AP is uh, is crying somewhere. So um, let's transition there. We're, uh, we're talking about, you know, this week – uh, we kind of continuing our uh, our opponent preview series. I know it's really early ahead of time, but it's the summer. We're trying to get you guys a little bit of uh, information about the the teams Florida State is playing periodically throughout the summer here. So we're out in Miami uh, right now for football. Uh, 
just generally, guys, kind of as I've researched the Hurricanes, um, obviously you see the front seven is going to be really good. They have a good running back in Mark Walton. Uh, but the quarterback, I think, is the main question mark that will kind of dictate what Miami does this season. Chris, is it, I'm going to – God, I hate having to pronounce his name. Is it Nikois Perry? I'm trying to the, the quarterback. I, I think it's Nikosi Perry. Nikosi Perry. We have yeah. Josh Newberg actually on the other line. Josh, is it Nikosi Perry? I say Nikosi Perry. Yeah. I I, Nintendo Perry. I, I can call him Nintendo. I could actually pronounce that. But he's a four-star quarterback from Ocala, dual-threat guy. I guess what are your thoughts on on him? And is he a guy that, that could actually be – there's some buzz around him, like he's a potential program changer. Have you guys seen that when you've seen him at camps or film or anything like that? Like is he legitimately have that upside? Maybe eventually, but I don't think that's a year one situation for that kid. I, I don't think he walks in the door, takes a starting role, and has success. I mean, he can win games, but he can't have a great deal of success. There's a huge learning curve in the college game. I just, I, I don't think he's a guy that is like an instantaneous, ready to go, no doubt about it, day one starter. And it's not that to me. Well, remember too, like he, he's also just, I think, enrolled like a week or so ago. So this isn't a guy who even had a full spring under his belt to do it. But um, that's with the kind of the beat writers that we've talked to are kind of trying to temper expectations, <laughs> but it also seems like yeah, Miami fans are a full go with with him being the, the face of the, the program. And I just don't know how legitimate that actually that actually is, at least this early on. Seem, seems like they're asking for a lot from him. I think some of that is just kind of a desperation hope. I mean, they don't have an ugly quarterback who exactly sets the world on fire. Perry is a talented kid. He's got a bright future if things pan out. So I understand why you're kind of putting the weight on his shoulders and expecting him to be the guy, but... He's not walking in to be the guy day, day one. If he's your guy day one, your ass better be able to run block and be able to, be able to run the ball, mm-hmm. and you're going to have to win a lot of low-scoring games. Well, that may he's be, not going to come out there and light up the scoreboard. That may actually kind of fit into what they're going to be this year because their defensive front should be really, really good. Um, and you saw the staff last year try to kind of implement some of that run-pass option and spread stuff with Kaya, and that – <laughs> that didn't work out too well. That's how Kaya got blasted by Matthew Thomas, was trying to run RPO. But uh, they'll go with the guy who who is a little more adept at doing that, possibly. Uh, do you guys see Miami having any legitimate chance to beat Florida State in Tallahassee this year? Because we have a new quarterback that we're talking about. We have a pretty untested back end in the secondary with a lot of question marks there. Depth at running back is a concern. Uh you know, it's a rivalry game, so I guess you always kind of you know account for that. But but I just don't on paper, anyways. It looks like this will be a tough year for for Miami. Uh, it, initial impressions, kind of. I disagree. I think Miami has a shot this year because they have a great defense, and defense is always more consistent than a great offense. So you know, going on the road with a young quarterback, that one way or another, you're going to keep yourself in the game with a great defense. So. Can you really say that out of you know the last seven years, this is the worst? I mean, yeah, they have a glaring need at quarterback or a glaring question mark, I should say, because they're going to fill it some way. But I just think that um, they absolutely, especially with Florida State's offensive line and their defense, um, hang around long enough and just have a shot at the end. I, uh, I don't know. I just... I think the quarterback issue is going to be a huge one for them. They open up with, I think it's Bethune and Arkansas State. So it's not like they will really have been tested. Now you're able to run some stuff out there and kind of figure things out. But it's a lot different when the competition ramps up. And, yeah, they've lost seven, seven in a row for a reason. And I think that streak continues to eight. I think FSU is just a more talented, 
more well-rounded ball club. Yeah, I think if we're betting on it right now in late May, you know, you're, you're going to go with Florida State. It's it's the obvious choice at home. Derwin James will be healthy and, and back on the field. This is a different defense with him. I think Mark Richt is right. You look at the big picture, he knows he needs a mobile quarterback. Um, you know, Brad Kai was, was fine for three years. I don't think he was um, – I don't think he should have left. I think it was a bad decision. But, you know, in the end, I, I think Rick knows what he needs. He needs something – a little more dynamic from that position. There's there's some playmakers around him. I really like Mark Walton, but I, I just don't think, you know, I think David Lake alluded to this, there's not enough depth yet on that roster to, to stand up against a Florida State. So, yeah, I think the streak continues for the Seminoles, but I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't really discount Miami whatsoever. I wouldn't think, oh, oh yeah, this is, this is a terrible Miami team. It's, it's not bad at all to me. Yeah, it's funny. The Miami team this year is like polar opposite of two, three years ago. They were awful defensively a few years ago. Now they're, you know, not as good offensively and far better defensively. Love their linebackers. Really talented kids. Their front four is pretty solid. You know, they're going to be aggressive on defense with what they do. Amon Richards is a stud. You know, I think he's one of the best receivers in the league and the nation. And, you know, they've got Herndon and other weapons on offense, Walton, different guys that run it back. So they have stuff they can use. I just think at the end of the day, the quarterback situation, if you need that one play late from your quarterback, I'm not sure they have the guy who's ready for showtime. Yeah, I, that's kind of where, where I'm at with it, too. And I guess I shouldn't say that Miami doesn't have a chance because the last three games in the series have all been decided within a within a score. Um but yeah, you come comes back down to quarterback and who has the edge there, and and if Florida State has a, you know, if there's a discernible difference, um, and it's at home, yeah, that's why I, I feel pretty confident that that Florida State, if if it is what we, you know, if the offense can kind of be decent without Dalvin Cook, and the defense is what we think it can be, um, I think it'll just will be this will be a tough season for Miami. And I think you go look two years ahead. Uh, if Perry has a full year of experience under his belt, all those linebackers, uh, up, you know, and the, and the majority of that defensive front comes back, that's down in Miami. That may be the year where you kind of say, well, that that you don't get to that 10-year win streak because of that game. But uh, anyways, it's far ahead that we're talking about. But uh, I do think it'd be interesting to kind of see how Miami's quarterback situation develops here uh, in the offseason. Uh, last football thing before we, we transition over to uh, to recruiting I was uh, in Ocala this week, uh, went home, see mom for the weekend, and uh, on the way down went and uh, stopped by and saw Jimbo Fisher talk at the Ocala uh, Seminole Booster Club. Really nothing uh, huge uh, from, from the you know, 15, 20 minute sit down that we had with the local Ocala paper with Jimbo. Uh, the only really newsworthy thing I thought or super newsy thing that kind of came out of it was uh, him updating on, on Alec uh, Eberly, the starting center, on his uh, progress. Basically, Eberly looks like he's kind of coming on. He's about to be cleared fully for football activity, which is, um, I guess, depending on, on what side of the fence you sit on, good news for Florida State. Some may say bad news. Uh, I'm of the opinion that it's good news. I think you want as many experienced offensive linemen as possible, especially early on in the year. We alluded to Miami's uh, you know tough uh, defensive front. You have Alabama to start the year. Uh I think having Alec Eberly back is a big thing, but the, it was funny to read the reaction of, of people on the message board that are kind of bemoaning the fact that, that this guy who's a little undersized and has a tendency to kind of get pushed around at times is is going to be in the fold. Uh, guys, what are your thoughts on on Eberly? And I don't know, is the perception of him being overwhelmed uh, really the reality? Because I, I think he's actually graded out pretty well for the most part and has typically held his own. Uh, just when he looks bad, he looks really bad. I think it's the main issue. 
I think it's good to have a healthy center who's experienced, who understands calls, understands the duties, has been in the fire. I think Everly is a guy who is as good as he is bad. I would describe him as a mediocre player overall. That's not really a knock. I know he tries hard. I know he knows what he's doing. It's just a matter of sometimes physically he's a bit overmatched, and it shows. And when it shows, it tends to be pretty ugly. Yeah. Um, I am interested to see if Babion or anybody else can push him, but especially Babion. I like what Babion brings physically, hopefully mentally, to the game. He's caught up with it for the college level, can handle the calls, handle all the duties that come along with being a center. Yeah, I I want that to be a great competition in preseason. I think the offensive line will be better for it if it is. I don't want them walking into the season essentially picking one because they think he's, you know, less of an issue than the other. I want to be a guy who wins that job. I don't give a, hell, a damn who it is. Just one of them win that job. Go out and win it, take it, be that guy, set the tone in the middle, hand over duty to the center. Whether it's Alec, whether it's Babion, doesn't matter. You just need the guy that's going to be that tone setter three on the offensive line. I think to a certain extent you can say that for everybody on the offensive line. I think we still want to see a left tackle as a Josh Ball. You know, is, is Coleman Shue the guy at right guard? You know, certainly right tackle is, is also going to be up in the air with Leonard Rubel. So, yeah, center the same way. I think everyone would like to have experience. The guy who identifies the mic and, and can make the snaps accurately in the shotgun. Uh, you know, that was an issue a few years back, obviously. But I, I don't know. At this point, I'm happy for Alec that, that he could be healthy and in a good position to, you know, get things rolling through the offseason, build some strength, and, and be ready to go in August. I, I just, like Chris said, I don't think there's any time where having an experience is a bad thing. And I understand that, that the optics with Alec have not been great. Like when he gets pushed back, he gets pushed back and it looks terrible. Uh, but he, you know, I was going back and watching some some of the Ole Miss game uh, last week. And, and there were a lot of um, deficiencies around him that he had to kind of make up for. And, and we saw that guard spot on either side of him was kind of a revolving door I know they had Dickerson kind of step up but he was a true freshman that was much better run blocking I think than, than pass blocking actually saw the pass, pass pro get better when Wilson Bell got in there and and not a not a shocker like Wilson Bell was better at pass blocking than he was at run blocking he wasn't great in either area and he's moved on but uh, you had Derrick Kelly on left guard for the Ole Miss game and that was just a unmitigated disaster so you know Everly hasn't been helped out a whole lot by by kind of the inconsistency at guard the last two seasons um I just I don't think he's any that position is anywhere as dire as some like to make it out to seem, uh, but I do think I I do think having Baby on Johnson in the fold to, to push him is big. But I think having the healthy competition in camp is is really going to be important because that is a is a position that can be upgraded. Uh, again, I just don't know if I look at that as a glaring weakness. Uh, although we'll see, I guess with Alabama and Miami in the mix, whether it is uh, to start the year. Um. All right, so I think that'll kind of tap us out for uh, for football stuff right now. It's kind of a slow time of year. We're trying to trying to get stuff going there, but uh, but recruiting is well uh, well in the mix and in the fold. So we have a bunch of stuff to go there. Uh, Bob, would you like to hang out with us for recruiting, or you feel uh, you feel pretty pretty good about the the baseball segment? I feel like I'm going to leave recruiting to the experts, and uh, I'm going to move move on to baseball. All right, well, that's <laughs> Bob Ferrante. Thank you for joining us, as always. Uh, now let's uh, let's pivot to to recruiting here. Bye, Bobo. See you guys. All right, guys. A lot of stuff going on with recruiting uh, since we last spoke. Uh, I'm going to butcher a bunch of names because there's a lot of a lot of different ones on the list today. 
Uh, but let's go back and kind of go in, in sequential order here. Deshaun Corbin committed. I must have been a week and a half now at this point. It's been a pretty crazy summer. Hey, do you guys remember like a summer ago when Florida State couldn't get anyone to commit? And now this season has been, uh, I don't know, it's been pretty stellar so far, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's been a steady trickle for him this year. I, I don't worry about when commitments happen. It's, you know, they enroll in January or sign in February. That's when it really matters. So many kids commit and decommit that I don't get too caught up in, oh, my God, we only have 10 names on the list, and it's, you know, May 30th. I don't worry about that. So let's go with Jashon Corbin. Um, you guys talked a little bit about him on the last recru- on the last recruiting podcast um, when he decommitted from Tennessee. Uh I really liked him. I thought his film was really impressive. It was tough to tell because he was going against a smaller, uh, smaller class of uh, classification in Florida. But um, seems to be like a really, really natural athlete, really fluid, uh, and you can use him in a bunch of different ways. Josh, what were your what were your impressions of him? Like of how he fits into this Florida State class? Is he a running back? Is he an athlete? Is he a possible defensive back? Or is that kind of remain to be seen at at this point? Hey, he's a running back. I think. You know, that's what he does best. That's There's a reason why he plays that in high school. Um, as with almost every great athlete that Florida State recruits or that any team recruits, they could be successful at another position. So um, I think he has the ability to play at different positions, but I see him fitting it in, in as a running back at Florida State. Chris, what about you? What are your thoughts on where he kind of – on where he stands and what kind of prospect he is? I think he starts out a running back. I think he's fully capable of being a slot receiver or, you know, even an outside receiver or also playing in the defensive secondary. I think he's a really good football player. And uh, we always hear Jimbo say, I, you know, I don't care about him if they can play offense or defense. I want good football players. We'll figure it out later. I think Corbin's a guy that comes in, tries it at running back, sees how it goes, see how the depth chart works out for him and kind of goes from there. But, I thought it was a good take. I think you take guys who you can trust that are good football players who want to be there, who have high quality. I think he checks all those boxes. Uh, I don't know. This may be a bad question, but I'll ask it anyways because that's kind of my my specialty. Is there a you know last two classes now we're seeing a combined you know six running back commits, um, and obviously these guys haven't signed yet and still fluid in the class of twenty eighteen between. Uh, between James Cook, between Charles Strong and Corbin now in this group. Is that an indicator of kind of just Florida State loading up at the position? Um, are they expecting attrition there? I guess how do you guys view uh, what would is basically a bunch of numbers at the position for, for two combined years? I think it's just the school being greedy and capable of getting really good talent. And, you know, you don't say no. If really good football players want to come play for you, you say yes. You know, of that group they've taken, there's not a guy who I'm like, you know, they're wasting a scholarship. Mm -hmm. So you take it. It figures itself out. Some will transfer. Some will change positions. Some will leave. Some will star. You know, I think Delvin Cook being here and doing what he did makes it very appealing for a running back to come into the program. I think it's safe to say we all think Cam Akers is the dude um, of that bunch. But there's plenty of talent there. So it will figure itself out. I don't think I don't think the coaching staff sits there and stresses that they have too many running backs. I mean, hell, they stockpile tight ends and they don't use them near as much as running backs. So why wouldn't you stockpile running backs just as quickly? Yeah, I agree. There's 89 scholarship players. This is college football. It's not the NFL. There's, you know, what is it? NFL's 53 men. So, you know, like Chris said, 
you just stock talent. You fill out your roster where you need it. I don't think Florida State's short at any other position. Um, we're going to see you know them take a couple more wide receivers in this class. Uh, the offensive line numbers are where they need to be at. They don't use a ton of linebackers. Um, the defensive line is stacked. So it's not like they're taking from another position. I think uh, Florida State's always shown that they're going to take talent when they see talent and uh, figure it out later. Did, did you guys drink too much this uh, Memorial Day weekend? It's a very, uh, very low-key, hungover-feeling kind of podcast right now. No, nah, I think I sobered up all the way yesterday. I had uh, I had a healthy amount of clear liquids at the beach on a Sunday, but I think I'm better now. Yeah, I don't I don't really drink too much. I drink on Sunday, um, and that was it. But I'm just I'm hungry today, and <laughs> um, I don't think anybody listens to our podcast, so I'm just kind of going through the motions. I think I think people do listen to the podcast. I just think people don't click on the actual link as much as you would would like. That benefits us. But there are a thousand people that listen to the podcast each week. So when we get, I like people listen to the podcast. I'll give more energy. I like when Josh gets all up in his emotions. Yeah, it's like every other week at this point. Now it's bring, it's bringing the podcast. I'm struggling this weekend, and I stopped drinking probably on Saturday. Um, but. If you can't remember what day you stopped drinking, it might be time to, you know, check yourself in. Oh, I mean, that's not news to those who listen to the podcast, is that there may be a budding uh, issue here. So, anyways, let's try to pick up the energy a little bit. Should I, like, uh, more inflection in my voice? Should I pronounce someone's name wrong just to make it funny? Whatever you want to do. Um, do you. Another. Okay, what do you... <laughs> Amari Gaynor was the second commitment that Florida State's had in the last week and a half or so. And, um, I mean, big time in the sense that he's a local kid, he's a legacy. Uh, some people are freaking out that he's ranked really low on the twenty on the 24-7 cycle. I think that'll kind of even out in a little bit. I don't know if he's the second best linebacker in the country like he is in another publication, but I do think he's really good and he fits the mold of what you're looking for. Uh, with a modern linebacker and the fact he can do a little bit of everything and play in space. Um, I guess, guys, what, what you know, put this into context, how important was it to get this guy because of all the things I mentioned, legacy, local, uh, and just overall talent to fit into this class? Seems like a really nice kid. He is a nice kid, and you got to keep him home. When they're that good and they can help you win ball games and they're in your backyard, you got to keep him home. Amari's a kid that didn't have to do too much work for. He's real close to the Fisher family. He's very good friends with Trey Fisher. Um, he's close to several coaches at FSU. A lot of people associated with FSU. Dad played ball there. He's grown up around the program. So there were a lot of things in FSU's favor. But they did a good job recruiting him as a prospect without including any of that in the pie. Um, he's a damn good football player. He's a really athletic kid who can be real physical, can come off the edge, can change games, can also play in space, can do a lot of things in that outside linebacker spot. I think his ranking will work itself out. I don't think he was particularly well utilized by Childs last year. I think if you put on the film, it doesn't, you know, look like the player that I know he is from having gone and seen him so many times. I think in, under Coach Pettis, a new head coach over there, who's a very defensive-minded guy, did great things with Jerez Parks and others in recent years. I think he'll kind of shine a little bit more on film. I think that will help. I think he'll also have a good showing at the opening. So I think we'll see a ranking kind of figure itself out, but – I think he's a real talented, excellent outside linebacker get for FSU in this class. I think I think he and Joyner fill certain roles for that outside spot, and Mitchell, who we presume they may get later this week, 
will fill the role of the inside spot. So I think they've done a very good job of kind of, you know, filling out those positions with guys that fit what they want to do. Yeah, I agree with Chris. I think uh, getting him now was good. I think it was just a matter of uh, when, not if, they were going to get him. But getting him now is good because he's local and he can be on campus a lot during the summer, and that'll help with a lot of the recruiting um, efforts because he does know Florida State inside and out. He is a seminal through and through. Uh, so it'll be very genuine. You know, it's more than just him on Twitter. He'll be there to, to kind of be the face. I think, you know, we could see Amari Gaynor turn into the face of this class uh, because of that, because of his ability to show up on campus when all these kids are in town and kind of meet everybody one-on-one and then reinforce that at the opening when he's out there. Uh, Amari's a, uh, a kind of kid that isn't afraid to voice his opinion or or do anything like that. So I think getting him before summer began was was important for this class. Was, yeah, he, he's got a personality that works, too, for mm-hmm. dealing with kids. He's smart. He's intelligent. He's football savvy. He's laid back. I mean, he self-describes himself as laid back, and he certainly is. Right. But he works really hard when it comes to the game of football. So I think he's a guy that, you know, you can put him before any kind of person, a prospective recruit, and I think he's going to mesh well with him. We've seen that with him with guys from previous classes. Him and Deontay Sheffield have fit it off real well. I know there's others that he gets along with real well. So, yeah, Josh is definitely right in the sense where he can kind of be, you know, the bell cow, the guy that leads, by example. The last year they had, like, Stanford Samuels was kind of in that realm. Was it, has Florida State had a guy in this class yet kind of be that vocal, you know, part part of the group yet? Or it doesn't seem like there's been just one that's kind of stood out, at least on the top of my head. Yeah, I think Asante Samuel maybe, but yeah, no, nobody that I could say is like really standing up there waving the flag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they've had some carryover from that 2017 group. Alexander Marshall, I mean, he he gets after. He's like a baby Brewster on Twitter. So Marvin Wilson, Marvin, well. yeah, 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 Marvin has been. So too. They've had some carryover in that sense. All right, so we uh, we talked about guys who have committed um, and now kind of in the. In the fold coming up for uh, for when is it the fourth for I'm gonna say his name right Taraja Mitchell I practiced it like all week I was very upset about last uh, the Tahada Mitchell debacle so Taraja Mitchell I want to see on the fourth of June Friday okay Friday what's that the second I don't know I don't know today's yeah, the, I, the the holiday Today's weekend's really screwed day. me up there's one more day in the month uh-huh. so it's two days in the next month. So that would be June 2nd. You guys have him crystal ball to Florida State. Um, we've talked about him for a couple yeah. weeks in a row now, I guess, as is kind of hitting in the, the final the final couple days. Is there anything that really can change in your mind, or is it kind of more or less a decision that is made? Uh, is it kind of set in stone for the most part? Well, I, I think the hay's in the barn. I mean, I don't know for a fact that he's coming to FSU. Like, I haven't had the heads up or written, pre-written the story or anything like that. But I think the hay's in the barn, and I know FSU feels extremely confident. And from what we can gather, the other side isn't as confident. So, yeah. Yeah, I was texting with a Ohio State source this morning, and I was kind of saying this, phrasing it the same way you just did, Brendan. And I was asking, like, is this really it? Like, is it going to be FS? Do I need to change my crystal ball pick? And his reply is, what do you think with our head coach? And we were just kind of joking. Like, it is kind of true. Like, it all looks like it's going uh, Florida State's way. But, you know, can you really can you really lock in anything when you're dealing with Urban and his ability to recruit? So 
Um, I'm going to keep my nose to the ground. I don't anticipate changing my crystal ball pick, but this is just one of those things where it's one-on-one versus, you know, Jimbo Fisher versus Urban. I don't, I don't think either of them are just giving up. Yeah. You never know when Urban's going to have a dream or a vision or something that he shares with the young man. It just completely sways his opinion. I'm not going to take the bait with the Urban Meyer jokes this time. Oh, come on now. Is it nose to... I'm trying to add some pizzazz to this podcast. We got angry, hungry, emotional Josh, who's just sitting by a window like he's waiting for a psychologist. (laughs) It does does look like he's got the beautiful Tampa skyline behind him, and it looks like there should be a very, um, I I don't know. Oh, it's St. Pete. (laughs) Excuse me. It's nose to the ground, or is it ear to the ground? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I think dogs. My nose the what are you a, a pig going after truffles or some shit? I think a dog, a dog's nose has more sense in it than somebody's ear. So therefore, I'm going to keep my nose to the ground like a hunting dog <laughs> and sniff this one out. Is that okay, Brendan? <laughs> I feel like grindstone is part of it, but sure, whatever. Whatever, as long as you're using your nose and your ears and your eyes and all your senses uh, to break recruiting news, it's fine. I don't care how it gets done. Um, it's what I do, but I, <laughs> I predict where high school kids are going to go to college. What are you going to eat? What are you going to eat for people, lunch, by the way? People I, were given superpowers when they were young. Yeah, I was given one the ability to predict where high school kids go to go to college. I mean, it sounds because stupid, but look at the beautiful setup that you have right now you behind you. You, so. don't, you don't get to pick these powers; they're just handed to you. You sound like you feel like you got shafted when it came to the powers being dealt out. I, you know, I don't know if, if flying's as cool as it looks. Yeah, then you wouldn't be able to do the I'm on the plane uh, shtick as well if you could actually just fly yeah. everywhere. You wouldn't be waiting in a plane to answer, uh, to get your message board quota in. All yeah. right, yeah. I'm here, I'm here for it. Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying this. What's your Thanks, superpower, guys. Chris? They're the, the thing that you think that you have, that you have, you have. Uh, I have no clue. I haven't figured it out in thirty. <laughs> Five years of my life, thirty-six years. I don't Chris even know how old eat, I am. Chris can eat anything he wants, and he stays sexy. That's Thanks. true. I appreciate that. That's true. He's he's, he, he's always got a nice little uh, twinkle in his eye that I appreciate yeah. seeing, um, even when he's dead inside. I no. try, gentlemen. Yeah, no. I try, gentlemen. All right. Well, thanks, guys. It was fun. <laughs> oh wait, wait, wait. We still got Jalen Armour. Yeah, games. one one more, then we'll let you go. Yeah, wait. Wait, but real quick, I was like, is Josh hungry for lunch right now? Or it's like 10, 10 30, 11 o'clock as we're filming this, and he's been hungry for an hour. Early, man. I get up early. I had breakfast at like 6 30. So this is. This is lunchtime. For some reason, I'm just hungry today, though. <laughs> okay. Jalen Armour Davis. Kind of, Go ahead. Yeah, yeah Jalen Armour Davis. Let's talk about recruiting some more. Jalen Armour Davis. Uh, what? Did he, did he visit Alabama this weekend, or did he just almost pop to Alabama this weekend? No, he just, uh, I think it was Sunday night of last week. Uh, I might be getting my days mixed up. It was late evening one night last week. Our Alabama site, Hank Self, reported that he was ready to decide. I think he's going to decide on Friday. And it was Alabama, Auburn, FSU. Now, throughout that recruitment, it's been FSU, Auburn. Bama's really come on hot and heavy, pushed real hard in the last four to six weeks, basically during the evaluation period. And Bama felt confident that if he popped on Friday, it was them. And from what I gathered on FSU's end, they felt the same way. Um, but FSU and Auburn aren't going to give up there. They both love the kid. He's a super versatile defensive back, could play safety, could play corner, really athletic, long kid, checks all the boxes of what schools like FSU and Bama like at that position. So uh, it kind of was 
out of nowhere. He'd been a guy that had been very slow and steady, taking a lot of visits, very quiet visits. Like he came to FSU for a junior day and then he came back with his mom just getting out visiting. You know, he's been to Auburn several times. I believe he's been to BM at least once or twice. Um, and then all of a sudden, I don't know where it was like, hey, I'm ready to decide and it's going to be BM. So kind of, you know, it's some guys you expect things to progress in that manner. He wasn't one of those that I would characterize as that, but he's since delayed the announcement, he's likely to visit all three of those schools during the summer. I think he decides before he plays a football game as a senior. Josh. Yeah, I was told uh, last Friday right before his decommitment from a good source that, hey, Jalen Armour, I'm not, I'm sorry, before his expected announcement time, not his decommitment. Let's get this guy uh, a fucking sandwich. It's showing. That kid needs to eat. He's losing concentration. He's so hungry. I need to eat. So I was told that morning that Jalen Arbor was probably going to delay his decision, and then like two hours later he delayed his decision. So um, obviously I heard that coming from an FSU source, which bodes well for FSU. Like I said on the message boards, I think that one of the reasons he delayed his decision was specifically because of FSU and where they stand in his recruitment. So um, I anticipate him coming back this summer. He already showed that he can make that visit. He did it twice in the in the off season already. So I think he'll be back on campus, and I think you know FSU's got a real shot to land him. Yeah, good news for Florida State then, I guess, in that sense. If uh, if he was going to maybe pop last week and then uh, then doesn't, that's obviously a good thing to to get a little bit more time to have a chance. Uh, any anything else you guys want to touch on, or Josh, you want to get out of here and get a peanut no, butter no, no. sandwich? Uh, real quick, Joshua Moore. I am told that the visit on June 5th is still kind of up in the air. Um, As recently as this weekend, Moore and his mother were on the phone with the FSU staff talking about June 5. I've kind of said all along that if he takes the visit, if he doesn't take the visit to FSU, we're done. Like Josh Moore's not coming to FSU. I'm being told that's not the case. I I was hoping it would be just so like, I could have some finality on this recruitment one way or another, but then like I've had multiple conversations this weekend with somebody that's telling me that like, you know, if he doesn't visit, it doesn't mean FSU's out still got a great shot. Um, the Nebraska stuff. I don't know. All I can tell you is somebody's getting played in this recruitment. Um, whether it's FSU or Nebraska, we'll find out on June 18. I'm really rooting for him to not visit Florida State and keep this whole up, uh, keep this whole unknown thing uh, stressing know, you out a little I've bit. Been so steadfast in the stance that this Joshua Moore recruitment's real easy. If he visits on June five, FSU's probably going to get him. If he doesn't, it's over. And now, I, and now, and now that's I not the case. My theory to you know sources that I deal with, and they're telling me I'm I'm not that I'm off base with that that. Even if he doesn't visit, it doesn't mean the end of it for FSU. So, so all weekend I've been like, kind of um, coming to grips with that, and but just realizing that I'm going to have to deal with this Joshua Moore thing. And I guarantee you, whether he commits to FSU on June 18th, are we really done covering Joshua Moore's recruitment? Whether only, he commits to Nebraska or FSU, only if he deletes his Twitter because he does so much for the Twitter. <laughs> Maybe he'll be so, the bell cow of Florida State's class on the Twitter. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> nah, he, 
him and his brother both are interesting with how they kind of demand attention with the Twitter constantly. And there's plenty of prospects that do that, so I'm not pigeonholing them as the only ones. Yeah, but they but, do uh, find a good way to dominate the news cycle week after week after week. Yeah. Yeah. It's impressive. I mean, they're like the Jim Harbaugh of recruits. <laughs> It'd be like if Bruce Judson had a twin brother. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The only thing I'll add is uh, I think Justin Fields will decommit from Penn State. I previously had the opposite stance. I thought he's going to stick, or at least I thought it was a bigger possibility than the average person in our business. I no longer believe that. I think there's a fairly good chance he decommits. And I do also believe that FSU is a very legit player if such a decommitment happens. I think Florida, Auburn, FSU, Georgia is also going to be in there. Those are four that you've really got to keep an eye on if he does truly part with Penn State. I, I think there's a fair chance of it. I think if it happens, it's all going to happen pretty quickly with visits to those schools also happening in a short span and a final decision coming fairly soon. Like I, I don't think this is a recruitment that's going to reopen and then play out till January or February. I think this is a recruitment that if it reopens, it's going to close again within you know two to four weeks after it reopens. I thought we were almost going to get through an entire recruiting podcast without uh, talking about a quarterback. So No way. And I'll tell you what. I agree with Chris. I think uh, I think by the time we get to the opening, I think Justin Fields could be a free man and commitment free. Um, regardless, I anticipate pretty much every podcast from here on out being heavy football uh, quarterback recruiting talk, just because things are going to start happening, especially around okay. camp. Um, whether it be with the targets that we know or new targets. Uh, I would just anticipate a lot of quarterback recruiting talk on the podcast from now through August. And I'm here for it, by the way, Brendan. Yeah, we, we won't talk any quarterback recruiting after Josh's birthday. That's our rule, right? Yeah, that's because you, you've stated randomly that on August 10, we'll know what, what everything's <laughs> gonna, how it's all going to transpire. So I guess the gift for my birthday to you guys is finality and QB recruiting, according to me. But we'll always have Josh Moore. Yeah, we will still have Josh Moore to talk about. <laughs> All right, let's go get this guy's sandwich. Chris actually being the happy, jovial one of the podcast. Oh, what kind is, of sandwich, Brendan? I feel like you're a peanut butter kind of guy. Like, you're talking about going to the gym, you want some protein. I don't know. I'm definitely not a... You're not a good pub sub. Yeah, 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 yeah. To yeah. me, Josh is more like a Rachel. You know, the Reuben and the Rachel. Rachel's like the cousin of a Reuben. He's more of a Rachel. I don't know what a Reuben is. What's a Rachel. Uh, I don't remember exactly. It's Man, I'm not going to get a sandwich. I'm probably going to go get some Thai food. So, Ooh. I was going to get some Indian food for lunch. How about that? I'm going to have cereal for breakfast because I still haven't eaten today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for joining. Uh, Bob Ferrante left us. God, what a great idea that was for Bob. I wish I could have signed out 30 minutes ago. <laughs> it would have been fantastic. But Bob said he's standing on his baseball talk and doesn't need to perform anymore. No, he's he, Bob was the all-star today. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, but for a hungry Josh Newberg and for an always hungry Chris Nee, I'm Brendan Sinone with Knowles 24-7. Thanks for joining the podcast per usual, guys. Bye. Peace.